Hey guys, popping in with a reminder to sign up for the GovHub newsletter. This weekly pop of politics is designed to share action items, resources, and quick links to civic engagement tools and topics directly to your inbox. Save it, share it, and sign up for a pinch of productive politics today by going to girlinthegov.com or visiting this episode's description. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Hey guys, popping in with a reminder to sign up for the GovHub newsletter. This weekly pop of politics is designed to share action items, resources, and quick links to civic engagement tools and topics directly to your inbox. Save it, share it, and sign up for a pinch of productive politics today by going to girlinthegov.com or visiting this episode's description. Welcome to Girl on the Gov, the podcast, breaking down politics as we know it and removing all the bullshit. (laughs) Because politics needed a (laughs) rebrand. Welcome back to Girl on the Gov, the podcast. Here we are, post-Thanksgiving. How are we feeling? Are we still full? Um, so, okay, so Thanksgiving in my, my casa is, like, bizarre. Same. Not bizarre. Like, it's just, it's not... It's different. It's, yeah, exactly. And so we were on the Cape, a.k.a. Cape Cod, for those non-East Coasters. And it's a little more, like, rural, beachy, like, whatever. And we were like, shoot, how are we going to continue our tradition our tradition is always getting indian takeout for thanksgiving (laughs) which just like you know what it's like i love that you gotta go for your favorite foods and that is like my parents and i are obsessed always always have been always will be so we obviously have to try all the restaurants we were like oh my god like what if there's not an indian restaurant on the cape and thank god there was it's called indian pavilion it's in hyannis if anyone lives near there it is great are they open Okay, so the ones in New Jersey were, which was, like, random and phenomenal, and somehow we always lucked out. This, they weren't on Thanksgiving, but they were the day before, so we ordered, picked it up, and then just, like, heated it up, et cetera, the next day. I did, like, a whole dinner situation with it. So, like, I mean, sometimes we do traditional Thanksgiving meals, but this year we made homemade lobster ravioli. Stop it. It hits so different. But I also told my mom, I was like, I also kind of need... At least one thing, and that's her sweet potato souffle. That's like our traditional Thanksgiving Ooh. side that was incorporated, but it was all delicious. See, and I feel like a sweet potato souffle is such like elevated way of doing Thanksgiving in like a good way. Like I just it's have so no good. It's like dessert mm. interest in sweet potatoes with marshmallows on it, but like a sweet potato yeah. souffle. Sign yeah, me we up don't anyway. do the marshmallows. She puts like I think it's pecan. Pecans? Do you say pecans or pecans? Not sure. Pecans. Pecans. Where is like the line? Is it the Mason Dixon where people say pecans? Like where? Can someone please like sign to our DMs and that like says pecans and give us like the scoop? Because I feel like why that's do I a feel even rivalry. weirder saying pecans though? <laughs> pecans. Pecans. Like, like, I kind I, of feel yeah. like a loser saying pecans. Now it just sounds like not a word. Like you know when you you say something or you see something too. Yeah, much like you just like, you know you're not saying it right. Sometimes I forget to spell, like, how to spell the. 
like literally T-H-E, because I've like looked at too much and I'm like, is this right? And then I'm like, No, that happens on well? the reg for me. On the reg. Wait, I also need to talk about something and it's Joe Biden's Secret Service. <gasps> the um, these specimens that are those It's wild. Men, I, and the one right now who's going viral on TikTok, go check out our recent TikTok. He is just incredible like and is just he like the, single the, that's what we need to figure out i think tiktok's probably gonna do some digging um and find his name his address his you know relationship status and we'll get to the bottom of this but i would love to like slide into his dms and like get an invite to the white house holiday party <laughs> he that's would look great in a tux wait speaking I, speaking of viral tiktoks we've got mm-hmm. two that y'all need to help us with one is involving Hadi Makati that we were just talking about. And the second one is, I thought this was the funniest thing that I've ever done, is to the bing bong, like, tune or whatever that was, like, viral on TikTok of, like, what would you say to Joe Biden right now? Anyways, ours is obviously canceling student debt. I mean, there's a million other things we could say, but that's what we went with. So yeah. if everyone can get this to Joe Biden, like, please slide it into the White House DMs. Post yeah, DMs. and I just... I need someone to come through with this man's contact info. And then Sam just wants to get through with an actual legitimate issue that can help millions of people. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Meanwhile, I'm over here like, yeah, and while you're at it, can you get me this man's number, please? Look, get you someone that can do both, you know? So, like, that's just the mentality we have towards everything. Totally. Well, let's just, let's get into our episode today because it is a good one to say the absolute least do you want to introduce our our guest today i do because she is absolutely awesome and a super cool candidate for senate in ohio so we are we're leaving the coast we're going to ohio in this episode the u.s senate hell lord knows they need it they need the help they need the fresh blood and we're trying to get morgan there so the young blood wait is young blood a rapper am i right on that Probably. Am I making that out? Okay, anyways, if anyone has ADHD, um, you get me on what just happened there. But back to our amazing candidate from Ohio that we spoke with, and her name is Morgan Harper. Like we said, she is running for Senate, and she has a really interesting background, specifically in the world of consumer protection and all the legal things that have to do with that neck of the world, as well as monopolies, where big tech is, things of that nature. So we talk about a lot of things, but I won't ruin the surprise. So without further let's ado, get into it. yeah, let's get, let's get, what am I saying? I've ruined that for you. I'm sorry. You were right in the middle of further ado. My bad. <laughs> <laughs> that was my bad. But anyways, let's get into it. So without further ado, here's Morgan. Well, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. And I'm, I'm running for the open U.S. Senate seat here in Ohio, which is a big opportunity. If you take a look at our Senate, a lot of people have been there for a long time. So when we have one of these open seats, we all need to be paying attention. And each Senate seat also has national implications. I got to this place of being in politics because I think like a lot of us feel, I just got sort of fed up. I had been working in public policy in, in Washington, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau during the Obama administration and just started to understand the limits of good policy and the need for better politics. 
and politicians who can connect with more people. So that's what led me to first run for office, which I had done for the first time last cycle. And in the Senate seat, I got in it very succinctly because we need to win. Totally. Can you also tell us a little bit about like working for the American Economic Liberties Project, what that role entailed, what like that experience was like, and how that kind of is tying into maybe the way you're approaching even this campaign and this potential Senate seat? Yeah, so I was working in, still sorry, I'm on leave from American Economic Liberties Project. And that's an organization that's based in DC, though I, I've been in Columbus working for them, that focuses on corporate consolidation across the economy. So what that means is, you know, in whatever market area you're looking like, the financial sector, you know, banks or airlines or food production. Even if we look out in the market and see that there maybe are multiple names out there, really there are a few big players that have the majority of the control and market share. And so what that leads to is a lot of inequality. And then also it's very difficult for other types of businesses to compete, smaller, medium-sized players. And so what American Economic Liberties Project focus on, focuses on is bringing attention to that issue and some of the impacts of that. And then also suggesting policy solutions for how we could address the concentration, concentration crisis across the economy. Okay, that leads me to an immediate question. What is this crisis? Can you like give a little bit of light to it? Like, what is this concentration crisis for someone that has like no idea what that is? Yeah, so why it's a crisis, you know, I I just kind of described what it means to be concentrated. And here's a really good example that I think we can all relate to because take, for example, you go into the grocery store and you see all these different brands there and it really makes it seem like, wow, we have all these choices there. It, if you if you assume that each brand represents an independent company, then it seems like yeah. the food sector is just full of competition. There's so many different players. Mm. There's so many people who are just putting their ideas out there and their products and making money off of what they're selling. When in reality, if you just pull back that layer of what the brands are that we see on the shelf, it's behind that is a couple of very large corporations that actually have acquired the rights to all of these different brands. And really it's just a, those few players that then dominate the entire sector. Mm-hmm. And what it means when you have that level of concentrated power where, hey, there are four, four production companies, for example, that are producing most of the food brands that we see in our grocery store, they're able to set prices. They're able to say that, hey, we, we're gonna charge you you know, $10 for this mix, organic pancake mix or something, you know, whatever, yeah, yeah. just taking that as an yeah. example. <laughs> uh, yeah, and, and why is it $10? Is that actually how much it costs them to make it? Of course, there's always gonna be some kind of profit, right. but when that number that gets set is much, much, much higher than what it costs to produce it, and there's no one else that's gonna be able to enter and compete, then we no longer really have a lot of the free market types of assumptions at work. And what we have is this concentration crisis with a few big players that are setting all the terms. And then the rest of us, both as people who purchase products and have to pay those prices and also workers, you know, that then if you're working for those companies, you don't have as many bargaining rights because there aren't a lot of other places you can go to work are suffering. So that's a big part of what ALP is focused on. That makes total sense. And also like that smoke and mirrors effect, the amount of times I've picked something up at the grocery store, (laughs) flip the box over and then it's like, I'm like, oh, this is so organic. This is cool, whatever. And then it's owned by Kellogg's or some other corporation. I know. Why am I, why am I thinking just immediately the cereal section? Like, (laughs) yeah, 
Yeah, and we call that the the illusion of choice. Yeah. It's like we don't really have choices. It's just it's all a fiction. Mm. And and at some point we had more of them, yeah. right? But through these acquisitions and right now in in during the pandemic, we've been living through, you know, not sure that everybody has been aware of it, a huge merger wave. There have been a record number of mergers happening during the pandemic, again across a lot of different market areas with these really big companies that are just gobbling pulling up more companies and then on the other side of that able to to set very high prices so that's also connected to you know i know the term inflation gets thrown around a lot what does that mean but it also yeah. connects to this issue because when you're able to just decide you're yeah. going to make prices higher and people have nowhere else to go yeah well then you'll do that and you'll just keep making more money and then we have to pay for it and we have fewer less money to pay for things totally well you also during this time you have testified before congress can you kind of give us a snapshot of what that looked like, what you what you were testifying on, and just what that experience was like? Yeah, that was my first time ever testifying before Congress. I had interacted with a lot of people in Congress before that point, but never been the one yeah. that's at the hearing testifying. It was it was scary, you know, just preparing for that, and it's a bit of a high pressure situation. Yeah. But the the topic was big tech, mm. and you know that is another hot topic right now, and just the effects of big techs concentrated corporate power and what we can do about it. And so, you know, for folks who haven't heard that term before, before big tech really refers to Facebook, Google, Amazon, Apple. These are the biggest companies of our time and they all are in the technology sector, though they do different things to, for, in some cases, um, different lines of business. And, you know, the, the testimony there was to lay out what the risks are of the big tech power and what we can do to stop it. And you know, my main point in my testimony was, we can't just regulate these firms along the margins. We really need to force them to break up and limit how many different types of business activity they're engaged in, in order for government to even have an ability to enforce the law against them. Because right now, a lot like the big banks, when you know, you're talking about during the financial crisis about 10 years ago, these big tech firms are considered too big to fail. Mm. We need them and they have a lot more power than even the government can yeah. do anything to counteract. Totally. That I, immediately brings me to, what was this, like two months ago? I don't know, time is an illusion. But when <laughs> IG was like down for like 24 hours. Yeah. And it was like, yeah. I want to like make jokes about it, which I can make plenty of those bad, good, indifferent, mostly dad style jokes. But like, the issue was like very much like, okay, all these small businesses that rely on it now are screwed. If you use WhatsApp exclusively, you're screwed. And it like, I feel like it just showed so many of the holes in the situation of like, in a sense, like that selling point of it is too big to fail. Like, yeah, you kind of feel it because if all these people are relying on it, it's the only source, their only option. Well, who, you know, what's the backup? What's the protocol for that? Like who could step in in any way? And I feel like that's so scary to like, think like this there's only like one mechanism there's only one route there's only one problem solver if that makes any sense oh that makes total sense and yeah that was a big wake-up call moment i think for a lot of people when you know the servers go down and you can't access your critical infrastructure yeah. as a business owner mm -hmm. and that's what that's what these platforms now are they operate critical infrastructure to conduct business yeah. in 2021 communication infrastructure in the case of you know social media instagram but then also 
commerce, you know, Amazon, Amazon marketplace is where you have to go if you're trying to get your product out into the market, yeah. especially during the pandemic, right? And so, yeah, it, it, you know, the, these companies spend a lot of time talking about how much they're helping small businesses, but we don't spend enough time focused on, and this is what came up a lot in the testimony of some of the risks in having so many businesses and so many people's livelihoods dependent on these platforms. Yeah. And I have a question too, like, first of all, about like testifying before Congress, but also where this like issue lies politically and like where kind mm -hmm. of the parties each lie on this issue. I feel like sometimes it's almost like by industry because we all know like each party is heavily funded by corporations, but it's almost like maybe per industry. Like how does it lie politically, especially after like you testified when it comes to big tech? Is there a certain party that's like anti big tech? How does that work? What's kind of the lay of the land yeah. there? It's a great question. And you're absolutely right that large corporations are bribing our politicians every day in the form of corporate PAC donations and lobbying efforts. I mean, big tech now spends more money lobbying Congress than any other market in the entire economy. Um, they're setting record record rates oh, of, wow. of money lobbyists. Yeah, you know, sending people to Washington to try to talk to legislatures and legislators and prevent them from doing anything. Mm -hmm. And so the politics on this are really scrambled. Mm -hmm. And you know, that's one of the interesting things about this policy area is you have a lot of people on both the Republican and Democratic side who are identifying the risks of these platforms. Mm -hmm. Now, some of them might be it disingenuously, yeah. right? I mean, take for example a guy who I'm, you know, running against in, for the Senate seat on the Republican side, JD Vance. He says he's going to stand up to big tech. He's a Republican, but he's also taking, you know, ten. His campaign will be funded ten million dollars from one of the guys that founded Facebook as a billionaire, Peter Thiel. So, is he going to be very aggressive about big tech? Seems unlikely, right? <laughs> right. But he's kind of counting on the fact that voters won't get into the weeds. Yeah. So, you know, but but there is, there's bipartisan momentum on this issue. Politics are pretty scrambled. And when politics are scrambled, there is an opportunity. And so, you know, that's one of the things I talk to a lot of people in Ohio about is, you know, what are your, what are your, I get asked a lot, what's one of your top priorities? This area is one because, you know, big tech is the trend center right now, but a lot of the themes that we're discussing with them apply to other areas of the economy too. And that's why we should be refreshing mm -hmm. our antitrust laws to be able to do something to stop yeah. that. And sorry, one more thing too, like what are some of, especially looking yeah. at your campaign, like what are some of the solutions to try and combat, you know, the power of big tech? Yeah. Well, what's interesting is we've faced moments like this in earlier points in our, in our country's history with different Sector. So take, for example, railroads. You know, you had railroad companies in the 20th, earlier 20th century that were trying to both, you know, control the railroads. So the infrastructure that was used to get around the country to send goods, but then also starting to be one of the players that is trying to move goods across the country. And that's when it starts to get unfair because then you're no longer allowing equal access to that infrastructure and the railroads. You also have an incentive to want to be on the railroad and then maybe you're going to preference your cars over some other companies. So what we do in these moments is we follow our history, which is we break up these types of trusts that are controlling this infrastructure and wielding their power in a predatory way. And so what's happened though, over the past 40 years is a lot of the laws that were put on the books during those periods of time and used effectively have been gutted by decisions by judges. Hmm. And, you know, there's, there's this whole orthodoxy, it's called the consumer welfare standard that has said, as long as prices are staying low for those of us who are buying products, then 
everything that's going on in the economy is okay. Mm, and yeah. that's the standard that a lot of judges have used to assess whether or not as companies are consolidating, engaging this type of activity, if it's legal or not. Okay. And so what we really need is a refresh of these antitrust laws to get them more teeth so that our agencies and the federal government will be able to, you know, litigate these companies when they break the law and stop them and allow, you know, medium-sized small businesses, workers to, to end up in a better position. That makes a ton of sense. I feel like I hear antitrust laws all the time, but I've never fully understood what that means, but that makes a lot of sense. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I weirdly feel like that was the one thing, like, I feel like we talk about all the time, the stuff that we do not remember being taught in school or like we just mm. bold face <laughs> weren't. For some reason, antitrust laws, I actually was taught. I don't know <laughs> oh, interesting. why, like that, I mean, I know why, like that should be taught, but like low key, weirdly, that was something we learned about. Maybe it, it was on the AP in, in It was on the AP test. In high school? That's oh, why. high school. Okay. That yeah. was like the one thing that was like, if it was on the AP test, they were like, okay, cool. We're going to teach it. And if it wasn't, they were like, this mm-hmm. never happened or like whatever. Yeah. Anyways, I could <laughs> yeah. ramble about that all day. Love AP classes. <laughs> They're just so, ugh, I wasn't absurd. in <laughs> well, you know what's funny, though, is this does really get at, and I think that's one of the reasons why this issue is appealing to so many people. It gets at the heart of, what are we about, right? Yeah. I mean, we're supposed to be a country that's about you know free market and everybody gets a shot at being an entrepreneur and an innovator. Yeah. And what we're actually seeing is that we have the lowest rates of innovation in 40 years, right? Yikes. So it's actually a lot less likely that if you start a business at this point, you're gonna be able to get to the place of really running that business effectively in, in a market. What is more likely is we have businesses that start and then they get gobbled up pretty quickly by a bigger player. And so is this really translating to you know a free economic system that gets to places like Ohio and allows you know businesses on Main Street to compete? Or are we just continuing to enrich people that were already rich that are on some of the you know more coastal economies? And that I think that's why it's a popular issue because we're defining what is our country really about and what's totally. fair and what's not. And a lot of people are interested in that. Totally. Because totally. it's 100%. like the concept like everyone's grown up on of like if you work hard, you'll mm-hmm. achieve the American dream. But like so much of that is like no longer true. And so I think yeah. that sort of conversation needs to keep going is like what the hell is going on and like what do we need to do to change that mm-hmm. and so you mentioned antitrust before and we were just you know sort of babbling on about it but like to get to the basics of it like what let's start with the like i have a stupid question situation like what yeah. is a monopoly for someone that doesn't know and they're like okay this sounds like a game that i play at christmas <laughs> with my family what does it actually mean Yeah. I mean, a monopoly is when you have a company that is, you know, very powerful and able to set the terms of, you know, how much things are going to cost and, you know, how much they're going to be able to pay their workers. And they have, you know, concentrated power in that way to set the terms of the market. So that, that is one of, you know, when we were talking about like concentrated firms, we also say monopolies as more or less a synonym. And, and, and that's what it's, that's what it's really getting at. Gotcha. And Ken, can you kind of shed light too on this anti-monopoly movement that we see and, and kind of explain that for people who don't know what that's all about? Yeah. And the anti-monopoly movement. So there's a there's a lot of different advocates and scholars out there that are 
rejecting that consumer welfare standard that I mentioned earlier as, you know, that is what has driven a lot of thinking about economic policy over the past 40 years. And there are all these advocates that are saying, no, actually that's wrong. It isn't enough that prices are are being kept low. We really have deeper economic issues here and they relate to concentrated corporate power. And so the anti-monopoly movement is calling out, most people within the anti-monopoly movement are calling out that concentrated power, the government allowing these monopolies to form and really calling for a different criteria of what success looks like in the economy. And uh, and it's really, you know, it's been gaining steam over the past few years, but especially with big tech, mm-hmm. that's, a, that's an area where a lot of people, it's starting to click, you know, just what exactly the threats and harms are to this power. Because it's not just the economy. I mean, as we're seeing with big tech, they also wield a tremendous amount of power over our democracy, yeah, you know, like we were totally. talking about with funding our political campaigns mm-hmm. and sending all these lobbyists. And so we are in a bit of a, a crisis and, you know, and that's what has led, I mean, Facebook spreading disinformation yep. online has contributed to problems around the vaccine, but then also the January 6th yep. incident that, you know, allowed a lot of our legislators' lives to be in danger. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is, this is serious right now. Totally. Yeah, it's interesting too. Like what a lot of these other industries haven't had, they always have had the money and the power and the monopolies, but now it's like, with big tech and social media, they control like messaging and entire narratives. Even going back to when Instagram goes down, they even have indirect almost control over small businesses too, because all of a sudden you can't function as a business when it shuts down. And it, and it feels like it's free. I mean, that's what it's yeah, sold. It's totally. like, oh, this is free. This is a boon, but it's, it's not free. Yep. They're getting data and they're monetizing our data mm-hmm. against us. And that is the fundamental issue. And they also then are using that data to drive out other players in the market. I mean, the data that they collect when we're just on these platforms scrolling, then also informs how they're able to monopolize and have control over the ad market. Yeah. I mean, right now, Facebook and Google, are the that's a duopoly because there are two players that exercise that kind of power over the digital ad market. There used to be a lot of different companies that were in that space, but now they're able to fuel that and have almost perfect information about what types of ads to put in front of us because they're also controlling the platforms where they scroll and get to know us better. No right. other platform or, or ad company would be able to compete in that way right now. Which is totally. so bloody creepy. I, I literally know. can't. I was watching The Social Dilemma like mm-hmm. last week, which, oh my God, I like had the chills at how creepy everything was. It was like, not that I didn't know, But then when you're, like, seeing someone really lie it out there for you, you're like, oh, God, I hate it. But then you're, like, stuck because, like, everything we do is, like, connected to social media now and to the internet and to all all these companies. And, like, you kind of are screwed if you don't use it. You know, there's so many, yeah. so many ends of it, even to, like, this is taking it, like, a totally different direction. But, like, one of my friends just moved out to California great awesome whatever she does not have social media she never has she's like no thank you like whatever which means i have to like backstalk everyone for her and be like oh my god yes this boy did this and like here you go i'm like am i your social media manager you're a good friend friend. yes he has a girlfriend actually run it back don't go there time to move on time Time to to move move on on. (laughs) yeah on to the next like the whole nine yards there's like a social like sort of network she's now totally closed out of and i think it's like so weird how now as well like you kind of get cut out of certain elements of life because if you're not using these platforms that you're like relying on you kind of get left behind and i know that's like not like a sad sack moment but it is like weird of like how integrated (laughs) it just shows how like how far their power reaches yeah 
crazy. Yeah, exactly. And and I mean, a common question I get too is, well, what's the alternative, right? Because we right. are where we are. They have so much power. Everybody's on Facebook. Everybody's on Instagram. You know, all these platforms. And so, well, you know, the alternative could look a lot like what we had at the beginning of the social media era. You know, in the earlier 2000s, even up until was this like the end of the the aughts, you know, whatever that, that period yeah. was called, but you know, where we had multiple platforms, like you were opting into a platform mm-hmm. that seemed like it spoke to you more. Like there was this platform called, it might be a little before your time, but Black Planet that was really targeting a lot of young black people, very popular, but then it just became harder and harder to compete if yeah. you weren't in the you know Facebook bubble. So if we are, if we have laws on the books that allow our government to actually exercise what is its authority to protect us and the public interest, then we would open up more space for different types of platforms to emerge and compete. And then your friend wouldn't feel like I need to opt out of this because it's the worst experience ever. And I don't want to give my data over to these people anymore. You actually would have firms that are competing on things like a great consumer experience or, hey, we're going to be the safest, most secure social platform in the market. Things that improve our quality of life and our experience with these things, not no competition and then they're just able to extract value and use it against us totally totally that's why oh we are like well, literally on a totally roll today i know the two of us totally totally, totally. no totally. Oh, i mean sam i don't think you're aware we do this every episode the totallys are unbelievable but anyway we need to expand um, our vocab in case anyone totally wondering. totally sam okay next i have a stupid question let's get let's get back into the kind of nitty-gritty here what is the consumer financial protection bureau and what like how does that play into this Yeah, so the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, where I worked during the Obama administration, so that was an agency that was created after the financial crisis. The financial crisis was really spurred by a lot of people getting these subprime mortgages that they couldn't afford, and you know, and then they were securitized in the markets. And when people weren't able to pay, it sort of it led to this ripple effect across the economy. And and that was a problem of identified by a lot of people. Regulation regulators were asleep at the wheel and not really paying attention, kind of trusting the big banks like, oh, you've been around forever. We know you've got this all good. And and part of that breakdown was identified as because you had multiple agencies across the federal bureaucracy that were focused on looking out for consumers rather than just having one watchdog that really was looking at consumer financial products, which you know are inherently a bit more risky for the individual because it involves things like student loans, mortgages, credit cards that really are you know for just regular people these are our biggest financial products mm-hmm. and making sure we had one agency that was going to be focused on that and protecting consumers. So that's why it was created um, after Dodd-Frank got signed into law in Congress. And it, you know, it's not every day that a new agency gets created in Washington. So it was kind of a big deal. And the reason why I wanted to work there was because, and I'll say, I mean, I was very skeptical of the federal government. Mm-hmm. After college, I worked at the Federal Trade Commission. Right now, I would recommend anyone work at because it's going through you know this whole renaissance, really cool people that are leading it and trying to do things in a different way. But at the time, it just felt like everything I had heard growing up with people saying, oh, the federal government, you know, what a waste, right? Just wasted resources, you know, the bloat of the bureaucracy and all yeah. of this stuff. And, it, and I kind of felt it. I was like, I don't think, I don't think we're really moving with urgency to get things done and solve problems. But CFPB was created saying, we're going to be data driven. We know there are a lot of very urgent issues that people are going through, and we're going to be moving quickly with people who really know what's going on to address them as quickly as we can. And I interviewed and I got there and I was like, wow, this is real, this is legit. Even though I was a little skeptical and I need to be a part of this because this is government 
government at its best. A lot of reasons people are skeptical of the government is because they don't see any results from right. it. Either they're not happening or they're not communicated. But CFPB are always had, you know, in its ethos, like we're going to be letting people know what we're doing for you. We're going to get consumer complaints and have this, you know, very sophisticated database to hear from people directly out there about what the, what problems they're facing. And we're gonna we're gonna be a 21st century agency. And and that was that was what we accomplished. And and it still exists, even though I don't work there anymore. So I don't want I don't <laughs> want to seem like it's gone. It's still there. The CFPB is uh, very much alive and well. I'm obsessed with the phrase bloat bloated oh my god now i can't even say it bloated bureaucracy jesus that was like i was like i love it and then i couldn't even say it but regardless i just love that um not sure where i'm gonna throw that into conversation at some point but somewhere (laughs) so stay tuned stay tuned for that but we do want to talk a little bit also about where you're running which is Mm -hmm. the great state of ohio can you give us like the lay of the land like politically like what is what does Ohio look like? You know, like, is it more Republican? Is it more Democrat? Like where, what does everything kind of look like there? Yeah, well, you know, traditionally people think of Ohio as a swing state, meaning sometimes in statewide elections, especially for president, it goes towards a Republican. Sometimes it goes for a Democrat. And, you know, and that's why it's been thought of as a bellwether for where the country is at. You know, there's a phrase that gets thrown around a lot, as goes Ohio, so goes the nation. Mm -hmm. But that changed last cycle when though President Biden won the country overall to, to become president, he lost Ohio. He was able to become president without winning Ohio. And that was a really scary moment, I, I believe, for a lot of us in Ohio, because, you know, not not because it, it matters to be the bellwether necessarily, but just what does it say about us as a state that after a term of Donald Trump, that we on the side of democracy and and rights and trying to have government be about accomplishing things, we weren't able to to win. And and that was one of the big big reasons why I ultimately decided to get in this U.S. Senate race, because if we can't win statewide in Ohio, we have really big problems, both for our state and actually for the country, about what it says with where the electorate is going, because the far right in Ohio is only growing in, in power and influence. Yeah. What are some of the like standout issues for Ohio voters usually? And, you know, in the past or even even now, if that's changed, I'm not sure. Yeah. Economic issues are huge because, you know, in, in many of the things that we were describing before this you know 40 year period where we've allowed large corporations to just amass more and more yeah. power, it's places like Ohio that have been on the the brunt end of that right and and not really seeing as much economic opportunity as a result and so when i'm talking to people across the state that economic security message is is a really big one people you know we had so that financial crisis that led to cfpb getting created that hit ohio very hard the foreclosure crisis Mm -hmm. a lot of people because they weren't able to pay their mortgages lost their homes that's one of the biggest drivers of being able to build Mm -hmm. wealth And so, you know, the opioid crisis was also then just cutting across our state and continues to a lot of people who were addicted, couldn't raise their kids. You have grandparents who are now having to raise their their grandkids and and weren't expecting that. So we're really at a a very fragile point where, yes, there's some people who are doing a okay, but there are a lot of people who are feeling like this isn't, this isn't a state and this isn't an economy that is supporting my kids being able to be okay have their kids be stable. And that's a big problem. That's probably the most common thing that comes up. That makes sense. And kind of leads to the question of industries in Ohio. What are like the top industries 
in terms of like where where do people work like what does that look like yeah well if you look at the the jobs that are most commonly getting created in ohio it's actually a lot of retail jobs and that's part of the problem of what we're talking about so when you have these large corporations that are amassing all this power they don't necessarily need you know all of these workers they're they're able to now just start having people or i should say they're not sharing ownership over the companies with a lot of people who are working for them they're able to just have people that they're hiring in you know fast food jobs or a janitor job or restaurant jobs i mean these are some of the most common jobs that are now being created in ohio but it also depends a lot on where you are. And so, you know, for example, in Columbus, there's a university here. There are a lot of universities in Ohio Mm -hmm. that, you know, that's a big employer. Ohio State is is here. You have some places where manufacturing, like in some parts of Northeast Ohio is a really big part of the industry and also Northwest Ohio. And then some places that, yeah, have more of the white collar jobs, like P&G is headquartered in Cincinnati, for example. So that employs a lot of people in more, you know, office type jobs. So it depends, it depends a lot on where you are, but that top line message that most of, most of the jobs that are being created are in these retail, retail positions that don't necessarily bring the same kind of security or benefits is a big part of why when I'm talking to people, their concern is how am I going to economically be okay? Yeah for the long haul. That's super interesting. Well, moving also into just like kind of policy solutions now and like kind of now getting a snapshot of what Ohio looks like politically, what are some of the policy solutions that, you know, Ohioans need the most and have there been roadblocks that have prevented them from getting that? And also how does your campaign come into this? Like what are some of the things that you're promising the people of Ohio? Yeah, well, I'm making no promises. Nobody can get to Washington and make promises (laughs) (laughs) based on the dynamics of that place. (laughs) But I am setting my priorities and what I'm very, very hard to try to accomplish. And, you know, I would say they're like two categories of things. So one, there's on the more like procedural front. You know, you're probably hearing a lot about voting rights right Mm now. And in Ohio, we are a very gerrymandered state. So we have a state legislature that is run by the Ohio GOP. Also, the Ohio GOP is in charge of the governor's office. So, you know, it's just, it's a super majority situation here. And that has led to line drawing of these different state house districts and our congressional districts that skew to favor Republicans, which should be illegal, but the state legislature has no interest in doing anything about that. And so we really need federal intervention to just make sure that we continue to have a representative democracy. So that's why I support Freedom to Vote Act, which is in Washington already. It hasn't really been able to make it through the Senate, but I would be somebody who is supporting that. Then on the other thing, you know, I would say in that structural category or procedural is the filibuster. The filibuster presents a lot more legislation from getting through. And so we need to look at getting rid of that so that we can actually have Congress be a governing body in a more effective way. But then, you know, in the more substantive side, so we already talked about, you know, antitrust, anti-monopoly, competition policy side of things, but also climate really big here, well, big everywhere. But I think there's a big opportunity in Ohio where we need that investment in the renewable energy sector to create more jobs, bring more diversity to the types of jobs that are being created here. And it's it's an existential crisis, but we gotta frame it as also an economic opportunity to build coalition around that issue. And then even though healthcare sometimes gets discussed as a separate category of issue, I think of it as completely economic related. That is one of the biggest drivers of, you know, 
people going into debt is medical debt. And so, you know, I support universal health care, making sure that everyone is covered. We had a million people in Ohio lose their health care coverage during the pandemic because it's tied to employer. And I think the best way to prevent that and have everybody get kids coverage is by having a universal health care system. I, I could not agree more. I'm very biased, obviously, for anyone listening. That is my thought and feeling on it as well. But for your race, obviously, you are running against someone or more than one person. Can you tell our listeners who you're running against? What's the, the race look like at present? Yeah, so I'm in a Democratic primary. The other person in the Democratic primary is named Tim Ryan. Okay. And he's a sitting House member from the Youngstown area, which is in Northeast Ohio. And the reason why I got in into this Democratic primary is because, you know, based on what my observations are of what it's going to be necessary to win. We have to be, you know, tapping into this populism that is in our state that people really are sick of same old Washington and politicians and want somebody that they're going to be able to trust to be on their side. And so the experience I've had, you know, CFPB working on antitrust issues, like this is this is what it looks like to really be on the side of people. And I've already shown that I've done that. And I'm I'm really not a I'm not a regular politician. I have no desire to be a career politician. I already have a career. I'm trying to get to the US Senate to be able to just accomplish as much as possible as quickly as possible because people need that. And that's the mentality we need for the next generation of politics. It's less about me, it's more about us and just trying to get things done. And so, yeah, that's why I decided to get in. And the urgency is, you know, the folks on the right, Josh Mandel, J.D. Vance, all of these guys that are really vying for Trump endorsement and and really saying that they're going to replicate a lot of what he was about. And it's just scary. A lot of people in our state are really scared about where we're headed. And as I travel around, you know, excited about the prospect of something different. Well, the thing about the having a career ready, if that does not go on a piece of merch. <laughs> missed opportunity because I want to buy it immediately which speaking of you also have some amazing merch which we'll like get to because I like have a few questions about organizing yeah. and all of that but before you do we do want to talk a little bit about the youth vote and getting in front there you know you had this amazing interview with MSNBC which like obsessed we'll show some clips for everyone listening like so you guys know what we're talking about you're not like what was this random interview you're talking about? Like, whatever, we'll contextualize. But point being is you mentioned getting some of the youth vote out there. And I was just curious, like in Ohio, like what do you feel like is the thing that's going to like push the needle, like get people excited? Like what are, what is your campaign using to sort of make this happen? Yeah. I mean, we always use social as a platform to, to get the word out. You know, one of the first posts that we did on TikTok at the beginning of the campaign went viral and that was, unexpected, but it just introduced us to a whole different audience. Yeah. I had people DMing me, it's like, what? There's a Senate race going on? I'm like, yes, pay attention, yeah. you know? So whatever it takes, I'm open to doing whatever and using different platforms. I mean, we just talked about the danger of these platforms, but they funny? are the reality of political campaigns. <laughs> right. Yeah, I'm also in the spot of having to yeah. use them, you know, necessary evil. And so, yeah, that is, that is a way that we try to get the word out. And then also meeting people where they're at, you know? I think a lot of times people think of, you know, especially when you're running for US Senate, that that it's unapproachable, right? It's like this person, I can't just message them or show up. I mean, we're gonna have a group of high, high school students that's coming to the office later today to just check in about what does it look like to run for the US Senate? How can we get involved? And so that type of thing, you know, is always something that I want people to feel like this is the most accessible political political experience they've ever had. And really, I mean, that that is also how we win, the grassroots thing, the organizing. it's about, coming to people and letting them know 
I'm not going to win this on my own and I'm not trying to be anybody's savior. This is a, this is a vehicle for you to get organized, to embolden you know, your community, to take its power back, be part of defining the next generation of what's to come. And so, you know, that that's how we're going to be able to win is by getting people to buy in at that level and then spread the word, especially young people. Yes. Well, let's hear like the organizing inspo because we love that. And also like where can, people can find you on on Instagram, on social media, websites, where the merch can be bought, all the things. <laughs> Yeah. So Morganize. Yeah. Well, we actually, yeah, we already have some merch that has Morganize on it, but we're going to be dropping something soon that is even better merch with Morganize. So look Yay. out for that. Ooh. And that'll be on morganharper.org. I know we love new merch. <laughs> and and then also MH4OH is in my handle in all social platforms. So Twitter, Facebook, IG, TikTok, message me. I'm sure there'll be a new one before you even post this conversation. And I'll probably be MH4OH on that one too. So we'll see what's to come. I love it. Well, thank you so much for coming on. This has been a really, really interesting conversation and you explained everything so amazingly. So thank you. We'll keep an eye on your campaign. We'll keep spreading the message and just thank you. Thank you again. Yeah, no, thanks for having me. And I know I feel like y'all are going to be a big tech anti-big tech ambassadors <laughs> so we spent a lot of time talking about antitrust which is cool yes. i love it we're like nerding out we on haven't, that so hopefully a lot of your we haven't fully gone there yet it. so it's definitely a good conversation yeah cool well i'm always happy to come back and, and really yeah. appreciate your support so totally. thanks all let's get into these top stories of the week oh yeah right. well this one right. honestly i I was very intrigued by because if you are either New York State resident or honestly, like, I just feel like there are certain states that get a lot of attention in general, New York, California, just being two of them, Texas too, just in terms of like political landscape. But regardless, you may have seen this announcement that Representative Tom Schwazi is... (laughs) I'm so glad you pronounced it that way because that's just like what that name deserves. It's honestly, it just gives me, so I should probably not admit this to everyone, but I do like a great Grinch impression. Oh, I can't do it like on command, but it happens. Unfortunately, <laughs> it's a thing, but fortunately it's also a thing. You know, it's like one of those, ask my friends, it's legendary, but I just feel like you have to pronounce it in like a Grinch voice. So nonetheless, <laughs> happy Grinch. Right? Like it just gives me. Tis the season. Tis the fucking season. Who is this man? <laughs> who is a U.S. representative in Congress from New York is going to be running for governor next year's race, next year being 2022. This race became wide open when Governor Cuomo resigned. We know that story. All the Cuomo sexuals out there, former. Former. Uh, <laughs> former, let's therapy. make that very fucking clear. <laughs> but basically, this man, he says, I'm a common sense Democrat. I don't believe it's go- it's about going to the far left or to the far right. It's about trying to find the answers to the problems that we face. Love that in theory. But here's the thing. The announcement came days after the U.S. House passed President Biden's social and environmental bill. And it contains a provision boosting a limit on state and local taxes that people can deduct from federal taxes, which disproportionately helps top earners from high tax coastal states like New York. And so that's something that he has been fighting for. So he wanted to run for governor for a while, but wanted to get tax deduction cap raised in Congress first. So 
which just as like a little asterisk like taxes in New York State and like New Jersey for example which are like two of the states that are really like pushing for this are bloody insane like literally like same hey same Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, (laughs) oh, my God. He currently represents Long Island, parts of Queens in your third congressional district and had like a tough reelection campaign situation previously. So in 2020, it was very much a swing district. So the race to replace him in Congress will definitely be contested by both parties. It's definitely a little bit more fair and square in terms of what might happen here. But Democrats only have a five-vote margin in the House and are expected to lose seats in the midterm. So this could be one of them. So mm-hmm. in case you're thinking, maybe I won't go out to vote, here is a reason to go out and vote. So back to the governor element of this, the Democratic primary race at this moment, at this moment, so if you're listening to this at a later date, there could be more people in the race, so just FYI, currently includes Governor Hochul, who took office after Cuomo went, Madam peace governor. out, see ya. So, yeah, our first female governor. Fuck yeah. So she's obviously in the race. Attorney General Letitia James, whose investigations of the allegation that pro- prompted Cuomo's resignation are obviously up there and in the news. So she has quite a platform. And I kind name. of love that. It's... I like, kind of love that campaign. Right? Like, I feel like there's kind some of serious spice to that. Like, oh, here I iconic. caught you. Fuck you. See you later. Taking your job. Don't yep. mind me. Like, if the door hits you on the way out, by all yep. means. Yep. Love that. (laughs) Love that. Absolutely love. And then Jermaine Williams, who is New York's elected public advocate. So these are the people just in the race so far. I don't think this is everyone. There are also rumors that good old Mayor de Blasio will also enter the race. Honestly, like, absolutely not. Like, immediately, no. Immediately, no. In my... Do people um, even like him anymore? I thought nobody likes him. People hate him. Like, then why would he think that's a good idea? I mean, also ran for president. Like, I... He is the right. definition of someone that can't read the room. And I feel like I made a joke <laughs> of it at some point. I don't even remember when. But it's just so true. Like, he is like, okay, I'm not saying he's a bad person. I'm not saying all his policies are bad necessarily. Everything he's done is, oh, my God, awful. There's certain people that just absolutely rub people the wrong way and, like, just don't, just aren't digested well. And it's, yeah. like, one of those things. He could do the best thing ever. And I, this is like where I'll have like a guilt moment of like somehow he still grates you. He just still feels like ugh. Yeah, you, you just you're still can't even annoyed. look at him. You're like, yeah. oh, shut up. Like, come on, dude. Yeah. So well, this will be a we'll race to watch for sure. But we will move on to the next story, which is the Supreme Court is set to take up an all-or-nothing abortion fight. So both sides are telling the Supreme Court there is no middle ground for Wednesday's fight over abortion justices can either reaffirm the constitutional right or wipe it away (sighs) deep deep breaths okay roe v wade faces a major roadblock as it is faced with a six to three conservative majority that was remade by appointees of president trump we know This overturning of Roe v. Wade would result into outright bans or severe restrictions on abortions in 26 states. And the case on Wednesday is from the Mississippi 2018 law that bans abortions after 15 weeks of pregnancy, which is well before viability. So the Supreme Court has never allowed states to ban abortion before the point of 24 weeks. So Shannon Brewer who runs the only abortion clinic in Mississippi, the Jackson Women's Health Organization said, this is the most worried I've ever been. And since the Texas abortion law took uh, effect, the clinic had seen an increase in patients in Mississippi. So that's just wild. I'm stressed. I'm stressed. I'm stressed. 
<sighs> so basically lower courts block the Mississippi law as they have other abortion bans that employ more like traditional enforcement methods by state and local officials. So yikes, first of all. The Supreme Court had never even agreed to hear a case over a pre-viability abortion ban, but fortunately after RBG passed away and now we have ACB, the third of Trump's appointees, the court said it would take up the case. Like, <sighs> classic. Trump had pledged to appoint sort of these pro-life justices, so that's kind of how we got here, is this is very strategic as to trying to get these justices here to have a case like this with the goal of overturning Roe v. Wade. So regardless, only one justice, Clarence Thomas, has publicly called for Roe to be overruled, which is interesting in and of itself. The court could uphold the Mississippi law without explicitly overruling Roe and Casey, an outcome that would satisfy neither side. However, abortion rights advocates say that the result would amount to the same thing as an outright ruling overturning the earlier cases because it would erase the rationale and undergirding nearly half a century of Supreme Court laws kind of based on, right? So looking at this, on the other side, abortion opponents argue that the court essentially invented abortion law in Roe and Casey shouldn't repeat that mistake in this case. I think it's just interesting overall that like there is like such this situation of policing like women's bodies in this like do we have a law do we not have a law like why do we have a law on women's bodies like it's just the whole thing is like so bananas to me yeah it's uh it's scary for sure yeah and the supreme court again will hear arguments december 1st aka wednesday aka when this episode is released and the court you know issued its arguments calendar for late november and early december on monday so this is this is now on the table and it's gonna be interesting to see what happens here i guess it could be really bad but it could also be like nothingness is that kind of what i'm understanding except for i think the thing is in the nothingness category is it's still something so that's sort of what like the abortion rights advocates are saying is like even if they you know they're ruling on this in some ways it pulls back sort of like what happened with like the voting rights act some of the protections in it and some of the rationales that the laws are built on so like no matter what it's kind of set up to pull back roe v wade whether it's bit by bit or like in full like that's more the question than anything of like okay like are they piecemeal like is this a surgery are they removing parts of it in a sense or like rationales for you know, protections, or are they just doing, you know, the whole nine yards? Yeah. Fuck. Well, we will see. We'll keep you updated, and regardless of what happens... We will keep you updated, and we, we will also keep, you, keep updated you updated on, on the merch. <laughs> which is going to have that on it. On the so. merch. That's going to say that. We're also going to have, without further ado, it's, it's all happening, people. All right, moving on to the next story. The appeals court to weigh Trump arguments to withhold records. What kind of headline is that? Can we put a, you know, better sentence together there? Appeals court to weigh Trump. I think with headlines, they'll, like, take, like, a long sentence and then they pick out as many words as possible until it almost doesn't make sense. (laughs) That's Mm -hmm. my... Mm -hmm. They're, like, it's... my... I think they go for, like, you know, you could go for two strategies. You could go for one where it's, like, here's the entire story in the headline... Or yeah. you're so confused. You're By like, the what the hell? You're like, I so have like, to click have, on it because I, I don't it. understand it. It's kind of genius. I actually think they might have taught us that in a journalism class, just maybe. But anyways, Trump lawyers will try to per, uh, persuade appeals court to stop Congress from receiving call logs, drafts, 
drafts of speeches and other documents related to the insurrection on January 6th. U.S. Court of Appeals will hear arguments on Tuesday, and Trump's lawyers want to reverse a federal judge's ruling on allowing the National Archives and Records Administration to turn over the records after Joe Biden waived executive privilege. I don't know if you guys remember this story. We reported on it a while back, but Trump was trying to use executive privilege and be like, hey, actually, you can't go into the archives and use this against me because I have executive privilege. So that's that was that. I don't know if you remember. I don't know if that triggered a memory. But basically, Judge Tanya Chutkin said presidents are not kings and plaintiff is not president. So Trump's lawyers in response said, true. But in the same vein, Congress is not parliament, a legislative body with supreme and unchecked constitutional power over the operations of government. Interesting. That was like a honestly pretty educated clapback from a Trump camp person I've ever heard. How about you? You know, it's not bad. It's really not it's bad. Not bad. Um, I mean, is it true? Probably not. But the, at least it maybe would stop you in your tracks for a second and be like, hold like, on, let, let me, me let me crack open this constitutional law book real quick. I still feel like when you just said true that you should have like said it with finger guns. Like I just true. <laughs> <laughs> True. But anyways, Democratic presidents have nominated all three judges who will hear the arguments. Patricia Millett and Robert Wilkins were nominated by Obama, and Kintanji Brown-Jackson is a Biden appointee. So I don't know. I don't know, dogs. but Trump argued that the records of his deliberations the day of the election must be held to protect executive privilege. <laughs> executive privilege for future presidents and house committee lawyers rejected these arguments said that trump's attempt to assert executive privilege is unprecedented and deeply flawed so either side is likely to appeal to the supreme court and for you know a little more color commentary from the committee's lawyers they have said it's difficult to imagine a more critical subject for congressional investigation mr trump's arguments cannot overcome congress's pressing need or as my dad would say does it hold water does it does the argument hold water? Anyways. I like that. That's cute. Um, I would just like well, to, you know, add in that everyone should go watch my cousin Vinny because that is where that comes from. So Oh, I didn't know that. It's okay. a classic. Thanks. Well, those are our top stories of the week. Thanks for listening to this episode. And PSA, if you received merch, take pictures, post on Instagram, tag, and even if you want, you can send those pictures actually to info at girlonthegup.com. We'd love to post them as well, if you would allow us to. So can't wait to see those. Some have been trickling in and we're just like obsessed and in love with all of you guys in our merch. It just really warms our heart. <laughs> Sam, does it warm your heart? <laughs> <laughs> She's speechless. She's speechless. You know, I'm so overwhelmed with emotion and I, I just, speechless, speechless. No, but in all seriousness, we seriously are obsessed with all the pics you guys are sending and posting. So keep throwing them up there. Like I said, love being able to share those pics more and more too. So send them our way and we will have more merch dropping very, very soon. So keep an eye out. We'll let you guys and know. Give us merch ideas. What do you want to see? Mm. Um, give us also some feedback on this merch. Do you want bigger sizes? Do you want more colors? Do you want different fonts? Like, let us know. We want to make some good merch for you all. So yeah, let us know. Send pics and 
Subscribe, rate, review, follow us on social media, and please go find the name of the Secret Service Man on our TikTok. I would like all of his information. Thank you. We'll talk to you next Wednesday. <laughs> Toodles. <Bye>. <laughs>